You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Well, it's great to be here at Crossroads. I've heard so many great things about this church. I have, have loved Brian for a long time. I actually knew Brian back when he was in Chicago, and everybody knew that whatever church got him, they were going to be extremely fortunate, and he has been a good friend. I know he's been a, a great leader for you all, and I've been honored just to get to meet so many of you all, and I appreciate your, your zest for life that you have your love for this church, and uh, I'm just honored to get to be here. Now, as he mentioned, I am from Kentucky. I know that's a little different for you all. Uh, as soon as he said Kentucky, I saw what you were doing when I walked out. You wanted to see if I was wearing shoes. I know. <laughs> I realized that. And here I come to such a cultured area, the Central Valley, and you know, you all have sushi. Whoa, wow. <laughs> we have sushi in Kentucky. We call it bait. Uh, you know. Top five things, top five things you'll never hear a Kentuckian say. Number five, duct tape won't fix that. <clears throat> Number four, the tires on your truck are too big. Number three, you'll never hear a Kentuckian say, she's too old to wear a bikini. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, number two, has anybody seen my sideburns trimmer? And the number one thing you will never hear a Kentuckian say, Alex, I'll take Shakespeare for a thousand. You know, <laughs> People just don't say things like that from, from where I'm, I'm from, but I've tried to learn what it's like here, and your, your great leader and my, my good friend tried to help me. Brian gave me a tutorial on things. I said, well, help me to understand the area. He said, 49ers, good. <laughs> Raiders, bad. <laughs> he said, San Francisco Giants, good. Dodgers, bad. Oakland A's, irrelevant, you know, so, I, so I've tried to get a handle of, of what it's like being here, and I thought it was very interesting that he would invite me to come when it is next-gen weekend, so I don't know what that means, but it's probably so that it can all even out, you know, he brought an old man in so that everything balances, but uh, I, I love Brian's preaching and his friendship, as I mentioned, but I've listened to his messages. I listened to Pastor Dan's message in this series as well. And uh, I've loved this series and I'm thankful that I get to be a part of it. And today we kind of go into season two of, of Mark and we're talking about the perspectives of the religious. Now, as soon as I say that word religious, you have different things that pop into your mind. You you're think this of stereotypes of a person who maybe is very rigid or they're entitled or they're holier than thou or they're maybe self-righteous. And the Bible gives us a definition of, of really what true religion is in James chapter 1, verse 27. It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. But usually when someone says someone is religious today in 2023, we aren't talking about how they care for widows and orphans. It, it tends to mean more something about their spirituality or their religiosity. Maybe it's... Uh, 
At times, they're more interested in the facade rather than what's beneath. And there are people who sometimes struggle with being self-righteous or feel like they are, are better than others. If you've been participating in the Bible reading plan, then you know that this week we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5, and we're going to see three different people who have extreme encounters with Jesus. And the common thread with all of them is that each one of them is in a desperate situation. You'll recall how Mark chapter 4 ended. Jesus has them leave the masses, and they go across, the disciples and Jesus go across to the unpopular side of the water where there's an entryway into the Decapolis. And on their way across the Sea of Galilee, there's this terrible squall that comes up. You remember Brian talking about that, this huge storm. And, and Jesus gets them through that. And it is an encounter where they're scared to death. And Jesus is right there for them. And he says, peace be still. And Jesus is going to have an encounter with someone, as we begin Mark 5, who is anti-religion, who is anti-God. And obviously so, because this, this man is demon-possessed. And so he's on the other side of, of the Sea of Galilee. It was a tough place to get to. It was an area that was called unclean because of the fact that it was, it was a place of tombs and of graves. And as soon as the boat hits the shore, Jesus encounters a, a demon-possessed man. And you know a, a little bit about him. The Gospels tell us that this man would... Would, would cut himself with, with sharp rocks and would make himself bleed. And it's the only time in all the Bible where the word gash is ever used. And, and they would try to subdue this man with chains. And yet, because of the power of the demons, he would break through those chains. And he stayed in these caves that were right there where, where Jesus comes ashore. And to add to the awkwardness, we learn later in the passage that this man wasn't wearing any clothing. So here is this naked man running down to the water, screaming at the top of his lungs at Jesus. One pastor taught on this passage, and he entitled his sermon, The Nude Dude in a Rude Mood. <laughs> his presence wrought havoc. This was a guy who the Chamber of Commerce was probably not really excited about, right? I mean, his presence did not help the Yelp reviews in the Decapolis restaurants. But in Mark chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, it says, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Well, the bazaar is about to get even more bizarre because there is a herd of pigs that are nearby and the demons request to be sent into the pigs. And so this herd of pigs go running down this, this little hill and they go flying into the water and they drown. You might say that this is the first documented case of the swine flu. <laughs> you might say that. You don't have to say that, all right? Uh, would you rather me say deviled ham? Okay, what, what do you want, all right? Let's move on. Remember that Satan is the author of confusion. Bizarre behavior is his calling card. But Jesus brings order, and this man is totally changed. He's transformed. 
And so in this encounter, we see that, and here's our first point, Jesus offers freedom to the anti-religious. If you're watching online, feel free to engage with Lindsay. She's the host on there. She would love to hear your thoughts as we go through this outline and this message. But Jesus offers freedom to the anti-religious. The demons are gone. This man is in his right mind. Now, while I'm talking about this story, some of you are listening about a man being demon-possessed and you're fearing Satan's power and you're fixating on this. But in my understanding of scripture, I want, I want you to hear this. While at times Christians may feel oppressed by Satan, they don't need to worry about being possessed by Satan. I'm not minimizing spiritual warfare, but what I'm saying is if you have accepted Christ and turned your life over to him, then Satan can't come in where he is not invited, where he's not welcomed. He can't get in the house unless you open the door and invite him in. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't, you don't need to worry about that. If you are a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he, that's Jesus, than he that is in the world. That's Satan. And throughout the Bible, you will never find one example of a Christ follower who is demon-possessed. It's not in there. Several years ago, my, my wife and I had taken a young lady to dinner. We'd, we'd briefly met her several months before, but we had been praying for her most every night ever since we met her. But then we were told that she had had a, a major breakthrough, a, a spiritual awakening in her life. Her name was Lolly, as in lollipop. And that's not her given name, but that was the name that she chose when she became an exotic dancer. Lolly had dropped out of high school her sophomore year, kind of bounced around. When she was 18, in order to pay for a motel room, she stumbled onto dancing in strip clubs. That was five years before we met her. But there were a group of Christian ladies in in Louisville, Kentucky, where I'm from, And what they would do is they would bring a home-cooked meal to all 23 strip clubs on Thursday night in the city of Louisville. They would cook all day and they would just take meals, home-cooked meals to these girls. And as strange as it sounds, the owners would let them come in and they would sit in the back with the girls. They would do their nails. They would talk with them. They would ask for prayer requests. They would pray with them. They would invite them to come to a Bible study and encouraged them to leave the adult entertainment industry. And Beth and I had met Lolly at a Bible study that I had spoken at for some of those girls who were thinking about leaving the industry. And so we had been praying for her ever since that meal. And then we heard about this huge breakthrough that she had had, and so we invited her to to go to dinner with us just so we could hear her story. We picked her up and we took her to dinner and she, she shared her story. It was, it was gut-wrenching. And then she shared with us how she was changing her life. I had the privilege of getting to baptize her into Christ several months later. But that, that night when we dropped her off at where she was staying, uh, we looked at her and we said, you know, for the last few months, we, we only knew you as Lolly, and so we've been praying for you as Lolly. I said, I, I know God knows who you are, and you, you said that your name is Lauren originally, 
I said, what, what do you want us to call you from here on out? Do you want us to call you Lolly or do you want us to call you Lauren? She said, call me Lauren. She said, I buried Lolly last month. And so Lauren it is. And Lauren it still is. And she's become a good friend to our family. You know, Jesus still offers freedom to the anti-religious. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Is there anything that you need to bury? Anything you need to leave behind when you walk out of church today? You see, you, you don't have to be demon-possessed to be in bondage. Maybe you're single and you're, you've allowed Satan to, to kind of keep you in a prison of loneliness. Perhaps in the workplace, you're locked in a pattern of deceit and dishonesty. Maybe you're, you're drowning in debt because you're locked in a world of greed. Perhaps you're a student who is consumed with your image. Regardless of the situation, there is one who gives you freedom and his name is Jesus Christ. And after this healing and this dramatic exit of the pigs, the pig farmers ran off. They told the town what had happened. And you may be surprised at the reaction of the community when they come back. Mark 5, verses 15 through 17. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed. That's interesting. And in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those, those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They wanted him out. They were either so concerned about the economic effect that Jesus might have on the pig farming community, or they had become so accustomed to this demon-possessed rhythm that the thought of Jesus jacking with it was too much for them. They preferred the expected routine of a crazy man. They preferred staying in a rut rather than investigating the power behind the one who had healed him. And so instead of being grateful for a demon being cast out, they cast Jesus out. And Jesus being the perfect gentleman, he, he obliges and as he's leaving, the man who had been healed begs Jesus. He says, hey, he says, hey, let me go with you. And Jesus lovingly replies, no. He says, you go home to your friends and family. You tell them what the Lord has done for you. And Jesus is well aware that, that no one could refute his testimony. No one could deny what this man had experienced and you do realize the same is true with you. No one can refute what it is that you have experienced because of the power of Christ. In verse 20 of Mark chapter five, it says, and he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Now, the disciples are probably thinking, uh, you know, we fought through this wicked storm last night. We nearly capsized. We, we traveled all this way, and Jesus only heals one person? I mean, that's it? What a waste. But what appears to be a waste is actually wisdom. It was actually an investment because less than a year later, Jesus will return to that same area of the Decapolis, and this time he will 
be met not by one person, but by 4,000 men. Because evidently, that formerly demon-possessed man, the one man, went and he shared his testimony with everyone of how Christ had taken him out of bondage. One person, and now there are 4,000 men, and they come to listen to Jesus, and he teaches all day, and they're so mesmerized by his teaching that Jesus finally has to feed them because they've sat there so long. And we have the second miraculous feeding of thousands of people. You talk about a good ROI? Investing in one person coming back and now investing in 4,000 men. So Jesus and the disciples, on this day, they get back in the boat. They head back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He's just offered freedom, and now we're going to see him extend grace. Now, when I say that word grace, it's a good word, isn't it? We like to hear grace, right? We breathe a sigh of relief. If you're a golfer, it's, it's a mulligan, right? It's a second chance. Hey, hit another one. Come on. Don't worry about that car you just broke the windshield. Come on, hit another one. It's grace. We love it. We've all had those times when we needed a little bit of grace, maybe due to a poor decision that we've made. I remember back when I was 15 years old, I experienced every kid's dream because my parents came to me and they, they said to my brother, they said to me, they said, hey, we're going to be going out of town for, for uh, two and a half days. And that got us very excited. Well, my dad was a dean of a Christian seminary at the time. And I said, hey, are we going to get to stay at home by ourselves? He said, no, I'm going to have you stay down at the college dorm because they have a curfew down there. And I can tell when you come and go, I have some people keep an eye on you. I said, don't you trust us? He said, no. (laughs) But I was 15, my brother was 18, but my parents made one tactical error when they left. They both met up with the couple on the campus. So mom drove a car there, dad drove a car there. They left two cars there. They headed out of town with this other couple. They gave two sets of car keys to my brother. No sooner had they left, my brother came to me. He's 18 years old. He says, hey, you've been a pretty decent brother. He said, here's here's the car keys to the Blue Beauty. Blue Beauty was a 1969 Dodge Dart. Chick magnet, all right? (laughs) He said, why don't you take it out for a spin sometime while I'm away at work today? I said, I'm not worthy. You're the best brother that's ever lived. Now, at that time in Ohio, you had to be 16 years of age to even begin the process and get a learner's permit. I was only 15, and, and there was nothing that I had the right to do with a car at that time. But throughout the day, I would give people rides all around the campus. Hey, Angie, where are you going? Well, I'm going to the other side of campus. Hop in, I'll give you a ride. I drive her over there. When you're coming back, I'll be back in about 15 minutes. I'll give you a ride back. I drive her back. I ran a shuttle service for lonely secretaries for two solid days. <laughs> Everybody that got in my car, I said the exact same thing. I said, whatever you do, don't tell my parents. Oh, Dave, nobody's going to tell your parents. Don't worry. Don't worry at all. My parents came back in town. Everything was cool. Everything was fine. But after a couple of days, one day my dad came home from, from work and he slammed the door. He said, boys, I want to see you in my study. Well, we went in the study. We sat down. My dad started pacing. You ever seen your dad pace? He just paced back and forth. It wasn't even that large of a room. Finally, he stopped and he said, is there anything that you boys want to tell me? Well, they had been gone for two and a half days. 
we had done a lot of different things, all right? <laughs> and we didn't know what he had on us. And my brother and I live by a very simple philosophy. Never confess to a felony if he only has you for a misdemeanor, okay? <laughs> he said, is there anything that you boys want to tell me? I said, we have nothing to declare. <clears throat> and my dad, being a preacher, immediately begins to spout off an impromptu parable. He says, a certain man went on a journey out of town with his wife. Oh, no. I know where this is going. A certain man went on a journey out of town with his wife. Before leaving, he entrusted to his older son two sets of car keys. While they were away, the older brother gave one set of car keys to his younger brother, who didn't have his driver's license, and yet proceeded to drive around the campus of Cincinnati Christian University for two solid days. What should happen to these two boys? Dead silence. He said it again. He said, what should happen to these two boys? Finally, my Sunday school training kicked in, and I said, as surely as the Lord lives, the elder brother must die. Uh, as I recall, my father did not think it was that funny. And a few weeks later, when I turned 16, my dad said, hey, happy birthday, but you're going to have to wait to get your driver's license. Ouch. Oh, man. That's torture to a 16-year-old boy. But two days later, my dad walked into my room, and he said, hey, he said, let's go. I'm thinking, you know, where? Prison? You know, I didn't know. He said, let's go. He said, let's go get your license. I said, oh, man, are you serious? He said, yeah. He said, you drove for two days? I made you wait two days. Let's go get it. I said, you are awesome. We show grace because we need grace. What you're about to see in Mark 5 when it comes to the religious and their perspective, you're about to see grace on a whole nother level. And this next encounter with Jesus will create a whole new religious dynamic because the second point is Jesus extends grace to the ultra-religious. I mean, he just gave freedom to the anti-religious. Now he's about to be approached by a very religious man who is quite desperate. We pick it up in Mark chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. Now, by all standards, Jairus was a man who had it all. Everyone knew him. He had the right standing in the community. His address was on the right side of the water. He had been elected leader of the local Jewish synagogue, which meant that he was responsible for supervising the, the worship services. But he's desperate for his dying daughter. And it was very common for synagogue leaders back then to have very close ties with the Pharisees. And most all Pharisees, they, they despised Jesus. And yet Jairus, this important and influential synagogue ruler, comes to Jesus and begs him to come to his house because his daughter is gravely ill. And he believes, he believes that Jesus can heal her. And so without hesitation, Jesus goes with him and this crowd follows along in the journey. Now, if you've read ahead in your Bible reading plan, then you know that there's going to be an interruption in the story, but we're going to stay with this story and then we're gonna 
return to see what would slow Jesus down on such an important and frantic journey. En route to Jairus' house, Jairus' friends come out to meet him and they share the bad news that the girl has died. But Jesus looks at Jairus and he just says, just believe. We pick it up in verse 39. Jesus went in, went into the house, went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand. He said, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Jesus extends grace to an ultra-religious man by bringing his daughter back to life. He has that kind of power. Do you ever feel like your future is clouded by something in the past? What a comfort and relief for us to know that Jesus rebuilds, he restores, he redeems. Hey, he even resurrects. Now let's rewind a bit because we need to come back to that interruption because it gives us the, the third encounter Jesus is on his way to the home of the synagogue ruler where this religious man's child is dying. I mean, this is as urgent of a matter as you could get to. But in Mark chapter five, verses 21 through 34, we're going to find that while they are en route on this emergency situation, there's another person who Jesus also needed to see and love. Now, we've seen that Jesus offers freedom to the anti-religious. We've seen Jesus offer grace to the ultra-religious. Now we're going to see Jesus give love to the non-religious. And rather than reading it to you, I just want you to picture the scene in your mind. Jesus is on this life-or-death mission with his frantic father. But let me tell you about the person who will unintentionally press pause on that journey She is a woman that we would have never remembered had she not crossed the path of of one that we can never forget. We don't know a whole lot about her. We don't even know her name. All we know is that she had suffered from an incurable hemorrhage that had robbed her of her vitality and health for 12 years. 12 years of trying this miracle cure and that miracle remedy only to hear doctors say, hey, I'd hate to tell you, but your situation's getting worse rather than better. She tried everything. You have that issue of blood. You couldn't touch anyone. You couldn't come in contact with anyone. You couldn't go to worship. If you touched someone, they couldn't go to worship either. You talk about a woman who was at the end of a rope. But then she heard about a man who they say could heal with a word from his lips or a touch of his hands. And she thought, maybe he's my last resort. That's all I got. She heard where he was teaching and she made her way there and she saw him in the distance, knotted and clothed with a mass of people all around him and she saw him and she thought, he doesn't have time for me. Why would that guy have time for me? Everybody wants him. And she starts to leave. But then she catches a glimpse of his robe flowing in the breeze and she thinks there's power in that man. Maybe it even stretches to his garment. 
And so she moves closer and closer and closer until finally she gets so close that she knifes her shoulder in between two burly fishermen and she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment. The gospel of Mark says immediately she knew, immediately. Gone was that perpetual sense of pain replaced with an inward sense of healing. And for the first time in 12 years, she could stand up straight, look the world straight in the eyes for she had touched a great physician and she would never be the same again. But then Jesus, with that unassuming manner, which he so often liked to take, suddenly whirled in the crowd and he said, hey, he said, who, who touched me? And the disciples are cracking up saying, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> who touched you? Who didn't touch you? Everyone is touching you. But Jesus could always distinguish between the casual jostling of the crowd and the purposeful touch of someone in need. And power had gone from him and he would find the person who had claimed it. And so looking at everyone in the crowd until finally his eyes fell on hers and she fell on the ground before him and she blurted out the entire story. Jesus looks at her. He says, daughter, this is the only time in the entire Bible where Jesus ever calls a woman daughter. In one word, he reveals who he is and who she is. He says, daughter, your faith, not my garment, has made you well. Go now and be freed from your suffering. So Jesus gives love to the non-religious. Now when I say non-religious, it wasn't that she didn't want to be at worship services. It was that she wasn't allowed. She wasn't, wasn't welcome there. All because of a religious rule that they had. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you're, you're watching online today because of a compromised immune system that you have. Maybe it's uh, the fact that, that you are physically able to be here, but you're not here because for some reason you've allowed Satan to convince you that you're not welcome at crossroads. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. Maybe you're actually physically here in this room right now, but you would say, I, I don't feel welcome. I don't feel comfortable. And in your mind, Satan just has this reel going on saying, you complain about clicks. Uh, oh, people, people don't want me here. And you self-impose these things. You've never gone to the trouble of trying a growth group. I mean, gosh, that might actually take away my excuses and I might actually find myself in relationship with other people. And maybe you've put up such a wall People have tried to get close to you, but you, you want to keep them at arm's length because it's dangerous if someone were to find out your story. You know, in this story, Jesus knew that that 12 years of physical illness has taken a toll both emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. She's been isolated from the world. And did you notice in the same chapter, there's two 12s. 12-year-old <laughs> girl who's brought back to life in a 12-year sentence that this woman has had. 12 is the number. 
I love how another gospel writer describes Jesus' encounter with this unnamed woman when he stops in the crowd and says, who touched me? There's a phrase in Luke's retelling of the gospel that I love. Luke chapter eight, verse 47, look at this. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet, seeing that she could not go unnoticed. What a description of the one who loves you so well. So Jesus looks for her in that crowd the same way that he looks for you, the same way that he looks for me. Jesus was always on the lookout to pour into the lives of others in the way that they needed. And he just wants us to be on the lookout for people where we can offer freedom and grace and love to be intentional. And when we do, Jesus will always show up because he has a personal and intimate love for you. You were created in his image. The number of hairs on your head have been numbered by him. God so loved the world, but more importantly, God so loved you. Back a couple of years ago, I was, I was speaking for a fundraising weekend. It was being held in Pennsylvania. It was at a nice hotel. My wife, Beth, and I had finished eating a meal at a restaurant that first day. I got talking with someone there. Beth headed out. She got talking to a different waitress. And when I came walking out at the front, she was talking to this other waitress. And Beth said to me, Dave, you've got to meet Leah. I said, why do I have to meet Leah? And she said, because I'm from Kenya. And I just melted when Leah said she was from Kenya. Because I've been on mission trips there. I love the Kenyan people. We got talking. I was so excited to meet her. I said, you know, in fact, I said, my daughter and I were just on a mission trip about a year ago. In fact, we met a waitress on that trip. And I said, maybe you know her. Duh. How stupid of a thing to say. Just because I, in my little pig brain I had this in my mind, waitress, waitress. So, hey, I said, you're from Kenya, she's from Kenya. Maybe you know her. And as soon as I said it, I thought, why did you say that? <laughs> it's a pet peeve that I have when I go to different places and somebody will introduce me and say he's from Kentucky. And then after service, people will come up to me and they'll say, hey, I heard you're from Kentucky. I have a nephew that lives in Kentucky. Maybe you know him. <laughs> I'm like, well, there's four and a half million people in Kentucky. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Bubba. <laughs> okay, well, we have about a million Bubbas there, okay? So as soon as I said it, I felt so stupid, but I was in too deep, so I had to carry it to completion. So I said, maybe, maybe you know her. And I immediately reached in. I, I, I found on Instagram a, a picture of my friend, and I showed it to Leah. And when I did, Leah exclaimed, Yvonne! And I said, why? She said, Yvonne, she said, we live in the same neighborhood. Well, I thought she must have seen Yvonne's name somewhere on the Instagram post. And so I didn't trust her. And I had my wife take a picture of Leah and me. And so I immediately, I had this picture. Uh, that's, that's me on the left. Um, <laughs> I had this picture sent. I texted it over to Yvonne over in Kenya. One minute later, I get a response. You know what it says? Leah! <laughs> said, we worked at the Radisson together. Her second line, she said, we lived in the same neighborhood. We talked for a few more minutes, and I, I, I was speechless, and I, 
I walked back to our hotel room. I was just shaking my head. And then I, I asked my phone. I said, what's the current population of Kenya? And Siri said 47,564,294 people. Our God is a powerful God. And our God is a personal God. The next day we had dessert with Leah. We got to spend another day with her. And then we invited her to come to a worship service on that Sunday morning where I was preaching and, and she worshiped. I'll never forget just looking back and seeing her worship in the back of that room. And afterwards, Leah shared with Beth, she said, I can't believe this is happening. She said, I've lived here two months. I don't have any friends. I don't have a car. I can't go to church anywhere. I miss my family so much. God knew how lonely I was. And so God sent you all to me. Beth told her, she said, God sees you. God hears you. God knows what you need. And that's how God works in our lives. That's how he personally shows his love. In Mark chapter five, we have three stories that give us three perspectives from the religious. But at the heart of all of these stories is that Jesus still heals the hurting and he is near the faithful. And the fresh perspective we see is this. Jesus desires faith, not a facade. I mean, he really does. He wants us to be real with him so that he can be real in our lives. And this week, someone can have an encounter with Jesus regardless of their religious standing or lack thereof because of you. They can have an encounter with Jesus because you can come in contact with him and you can reflect Christ's love and his, his, his light. Well, what, what, what am I suggesting? Well, for our tag, you're it moment, three suggestions for you. Number one, spend time in prayer thanking Jesus for eternal life. Just be grateful and say, thank you, Lord. You, you resurrected my life. You did have done in my life what you did in that 12-year-old girl's. Secondly, show someone grace and, and love this week. I mean, God's gonna bring people in your path. Maybe it'll be someone who's struggled with something for 12 years in their life. And God's gonna cross your path with him so that you can show his grace and his love. The third suggestion, if you're not already in one, join a growth group. There, there's a reason we call them growth groups. It's because you can grow coming to worship, but you will grow so much more when you do life in community with others. And you paint a picture of the world, of, of, of how the church is different. We care for one another. We love one another. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. Crossroads, the Holy Spirit wants to work in you and through you this week. Will you let him? Jesus was always on the lookout for the one and he wants you to have an encounter with someone. We've looked at Mark 5, and it's shown us encounters of love, encounters of grace, and encounters of freedom. And yet we see all three of those things embodied when Jesus hung on a cross. We see love. We see grace. We experience freedom because what he did for us at the cross you see, he stayed on the cross when he could have come down from there. Why did he stay there? Nails 
don't hold gods to trees, but love does. And on that day, love did. We're gonna sing a song in just a minute. And in that song, we will have a chance to just kind of prepare our hearts for communion, to think about the cross where Christ showed that love and grace and, and freedom that comes through forgiveness. So you prepare your heart as, as we sing. And then if you're a Christ follower, then Brian's gonna lead us in communion after that song. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the difference that you have made in our lives. And Lord, we pray that our lives will reflect that difference and that when the world looks at, at Christians, that they'll be able to see that uh, there's a difference. Uh, what's the purpose of the church Lord, if, if we look no different than the world. So now these next few minutes as we repent of our sins and we come clean with you, uh, would you give us that immediate healing and freedom that only you can give? It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.